0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 again. That's our primary text that we'll continue on through. But we're also going to be looking at uh, Mark's gospel and Mark chapter number 11 and Luke chapter number 20. And I want to actually start in Luke chapter number 20 tonight. And I want to read a couple of things because we've been talking about the past couple of days about Jesus as the king and some attributes of him. And we talked about his authority being put fully on display. Now, I guess before I I go any further, let me just remind you that if you need the notes to the lesson tonight, to the message tonight, you can quickly go to eagledrivebaptist.com and under our sermon notes section, you can download those notes. Um, Encourage you to do that. So let's again, jump right back into it. Um, Again, uh, many aspects of Jesus' life and ministry uh, were put on display that final week. And one thing that we talked about, one of his key attributes of him being a king, was that he um, has authority over all things, over creation, over disease, as we even mentioned yesterday. His, thor- his authority was, was really tested by a lot of the religious leaders, because as you remember yesterday, as we talked about, uh, Jesus was teaching in the temple, he was healing people, left and right people were coming in that shouldn't have been allowed to come in, but he was allowing them in, and uh, the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, really tested his authority on that Tuesday, and really, I I can't imagine all that was accomplished, again, there were so many details that were just jam-packed into that final week, and even these these several days leading up to uh, his death and resurrection on the cross, but his authority was being tested. And I want to quickly read that and reference that, and then we'll get into uh, that continuation from last night. So Luke chapter 20 is actually where I'm going to start. Verse number one, Luke chapter number 20, the Bible says, and it came to pass that On one of, let me get my Bible again, it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? So here it is. They're questioning his authority. Whose authority do you have to, to teach these things, to do what you have done? Who gave thee this authority? Verse number two, verse number three. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing. And I love what Jesus does in much of his earthly ministry. Uh, when someone questioned him, he immediately turned it right back to them. And he asked them a question. Okay, well, I have a question for you. That's kind of what he does here. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you A question or one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say it's from heaven, he will say, Why then believed him not? But, and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they uh, be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. It's pretty, pretty cool take there that Jesus flips it back on them, flips the narrative back on them for just a second and says, all right, I have a question for you. You answer my question. I'll answer your question. He's trying not to reveal everything about himself yet because it wasn't his time to go to the cross. It was coming very, very, very quickly, and everything that was happening in this jam-packed week, and even the days uh, before the week, there was a lot of uh, great um, teachings of Jesus Christ in the book of John that I was looking at and reading through today as well. Um, But again, his authority was being tested. And if you remember, as he was teaching in the temple, Yesterday, after he walked, or after, night he walked, but after he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey from, from Bethany and Bethphage, after he came into Jerusalem with that triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday, he then the next day went to the temple, cleansed the temple of, really, he was trying to cleanse it from all the hypocrisy, all of the religious leaders that were really more man-centered than they were God-centered, and he was trying to flip the script he was trying to get them to understand what true, authentic, biblical worship is truly all about. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about God. It's not all about these rules. And Jesus Christ came not to just abolish the law, but to fulfill it and give us a, a better commandment. In, a, in, the, in the sense of when he came, he didn't necessarily just wipe away all 613 commandments from the Old Testament, but he, he condensed it down to two. Love God, love others. And that's what it boils down to. But as he was teaching in the temple, as we talked about, and as he was cleansing the temple and, and healing people, uh, kids that were sick, kids that were blind and lame, and others, they were crying out to him, Hosanna, which means save now, salvation is come, salvation is now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus was accepting their praise, and then we even referenced that he goes back to the book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 8, And he is allowing them to praise him. He is allowing praise to come his way that is only due to God. And he is showing them that he is God. And while he's there at the temple, as we said and referenced, uh, Jesus, remember, he is fully man, yet fully God. And he was hungry. He needed a snack. Uh, There was no Chick-fil-A open at that time that we know of. There might have been. Uh, it probably was uh, closed on that day. Maybe they didn't close on Sunday. Maybe they closed on Monday back in those days. I don't know. So he couldn't go to Chick-fil-A. So he went and wanted to get a fig from a fig tree. And, and as he was drawing near this fig tree, he saw that there were leaves, which in his mind, in the mind of his disciples, in the mind of all that would have seen a fig tree or any kind of tree like that, would have thought that, hey, there should be figs on this tree, I can pull one of these figs down and and I can eat this and this could be a snack. But then Jesus proceeds to curse this fig tree. And the reason he cursed the fig tree, we we said last night, I know some of you guys are just anxiously waiting. You've been on the edge of your seats all day, just in anticipation, trying to figure out why was it that he cursed the fig tree? That's the question that we're going to try to answer tonight. Why was it that Jesus cursed the fig tree? Because the next day on the morrow is when he gave the application and helped the disciples understand what the significance of that was. And again, there was so much more that he did on this Tuesday. One thing that he did that I really don't have time to get into was he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and that is where we have what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And we're very, very, very briefly going to hit on three key aspects a little bit later in this devotion tonight on really the significance of it for us. Because the, the, the understanding of the Olivet Discourse was talking about the end times, talking about the future destruction of Jerusalem and and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I think many of his disciples just assume that okay, you know, he's been in a sense preparing them along the way that he's going to die. So he's going to die, he's going to come back and then boom right away when he comes back, that's the second coming and and he's ready to to start and establish his kingdom right off the bat. But he was talking about future events and and there's a lot of discussion that we can have regarding that Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 25, and 26, and a lot of uh, speculation about what exactly Jesus was teaching about, and what he was talking about. Uh, there's a lot of debate by a lot of wise men, wise theologians, but again, that's not what this is for tonight. We will get into that at another time, and and I'm sure, you know, people like, you know, Jones that are watching this right now is just, you know, itching to, to teach on things like that because it's it's an awesome uh, teaching. It's There's so much that is jam-packed into those three chapters. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 21 tonight and let's give the significance, let's give the application for why Jesus cursed the fig tree. Now, let me ask you a question before we really dive into this tonight. Have you ever had someone in your life that just aggravated you? That's a deep question, isn't it? So I'll give you about five seconds in the comments below. list. no, please, please don't do that. We're not trying to call anyone out. I know some of you guys are probably going to do that. Uh, but I think all of us have had someone in our lives that have just aggravated us. For most parents, that would be one of your kids. And it. if you have multiple kids, it's probably all of them in some aspects. But I know we're not trying to play favorites, but there's usually one kid that just aggravates you more than any other kid. And parents, you can go ahead and list that kid if you want online, but I'm, I'm not telling you that you have to. But there's probably that one kid that just aggravates you. And I think for me, the one that aggravates me the most is the one that is most like me at that time. And what I mean is that both of them aggravate me when they're acting like me. And I'm like, why are you acting like me? And it's usually in a negative context when they're acting like me. When they're acting like me in the positive context, I'm like, man, this is awesome. They're definitely not aggravating me. But the point I'm trying to make with this is that there are certain people that aggravate us. And did you know that God gets aggravated as well with us, with our reactions? That's really the, the lesson, the application that we see here tonight with the cursing of the fig tree. That God is aggravated by certain things and and we're going to unlock and unfold exactly what aggravates God. So the question, again, that we're trying to answer is, why do you think Jesus cursed this fig tree? Now when you read and study in Mark's gospel, you discover that the entire tone of Mark changes at the end of chapter 8. When Peter correctly identifies Jesus as the Christ... And from here on, Jesus' mission becomes that much clearer. He begins to tell them what will happen to him. Even tells that Jesus, or uh, Luke, even tells us that Jesus was intently focused on his mission. And in Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-one, the Bible says Luke's Luke's account in this gospel. He says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. So Jesus was on mission, much of his earthly ministry, because he knew what was going to happen. And again, I'm going to give you a quick application and synopsis of things tonight, but here's the problem as we get into the, the lesson of the fig tree. Jesus doesn't have a problem with certain trees. It's not like, I just don't like that tree, so boom, you're cursed. That's not what he's talking about, and that's not the application for us tonight, When he curses the fig tree, this this is important. It's not in your notes, but if you just want to write it down, that'd be great. He's doing it to send a message to his followers of where a faithless life will lead. That's really what it boils down to tonight. He's trying to help them understand where a faithless life will lead. Let's go ahead and read The account here in Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21, uh, starting in verse number, I've got it up here in my notes, verse number 18. There it is. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 18. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. Again, kind of talking about this and then gives the application. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit grow On thee henceforth forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled. Not like the Marvel Avengers and things like that, but they marveled, they they were in wonder and awe of what Jesus was doing. They marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith, listen to this. If ye have faith, And doubt not, ye shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Look, this all starts with the belief. And then as we continue on, uh, it talks about when when Jesus uh, was questioned with his authority. Verse number 24, Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing also. Basically the same thing that we had mentioned in Luke's account where his authority was becoming questioned. So there's just a few verses in Matthew's gospel, there's a few verses in Mark's gospel as well about the fig tree, and I think it's in Mark chapter 11, uh, verse starting in verse number 20. If you want to reference that later, write that down so you can reference it. But here, here's, here's the key points that I really want to make tonight, that I really want to draw from for just a few minutes And there's really, I think, three things that we see that Jesus is trying to tell us. Again, it's the message to his followers that a faithless life does not lead the way that you think it will lead. And the first point that we're going to make tonight is this, big appearance with little fruit aggravates God. I asked the question, are there people in your life that aggravate you? And and the reason I was asking that to, to get to this point, that there are things that aggravate God. You know what one of the biggest things that aggravates God? A big appearance with little fruit. And that's what we see here in this account of the cursing of the fig tree. Listen to me. The fig tree was emblematic of Israel. And here's the key. The nation had the appearance of something they were not. This reminds me of many Christians in churches today. I think Timothy talks about this, where it says they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You see, too many people come to church, listen to me, and play the part, have just enough godliness for others to notice. But according to what Timothy says, that's a very dangerous thing to have. Jesus isn't concerned with your form of godliness. He isn't interested or excited that you have a form of Christianity. Just like he wasn't excited that this tree, even though it wasn't the season of figs, had a form of the fact that there should be figs on the tree. Hey, there are leaves, which means there should be figs on the tree as well since the leaves are there. He wasn't happy with that because the leaves were supposed to come after the fruit. It's like I mentioned Sunday about commitment. Look, none of us would be okay in a relationship if someone was committed to you 40% of the time. Well, I'm just going to commit to you 40% of the time and the other 60%, I'm going to do whatever I want. Okay, sounds good. Let's sign off on this. No, nobody would be happy with that. So why do we think Christ is okay with our 40%, 50%, 60%, 80%, 20%, 15% commitment? He's not. And the lesson tonight is very challenging. Big appearance with little fruit aggravates God. This leads us to the second point. The second point of application is this. God has higher expectations from his own people. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, God expects a lot more from you than he expects from the world because you are his. You should be identified with him. Do we need to go back in the Ephesians series and study and talk about everything that we are in Christ? Let me simplify this. A believer should act like a believer That's really what it boils down to. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you should act like you're a child of God. And there's a lot of people that play the part of being a child of God but are acting much more like the world than they are like a Christian, than they are like a disciple. Look, if you're a Christian... If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then live out your new identity. Live like you've been set free, like you've been changed, like you've been redeemed and adopted and chosen and sealed and forgiven. Live like Christ is in you. So the first thing we see, the first application tonight is big appearance with little fruit aggravates God. Second thing is God has higher expectations from his own people. That's the lesson that we're gaining here from the cursing of the fig tree. And the the third thing is this, and this is very important, church. God's patience has limits. God's patience has limits. When you study your Bible, you see that there are two types of cursings in the Bible. There are temporary and permanent cursings. A temporary curse is when God puts a temporary punishment on a person or a, uh, a group of people to help correct their hearts and try to get them to turn back to him. A permanent cursing is to punish them, to show a clear demonstration of his control, of his anger, of his wrath, of his judgment, of his authority. And here's the point. There should be a healthy fear in us that we may that when we turn away from god we should realize that god's coming after us and he's going to do something not it's not that god is you know this this horrible monster he's going to get us and attack us but if we do something wrong there are consequences and we can't just expect to oh we can't just expect to live however we want for as long as we want and think well i dropped it I got, my, I got my Christian card. Uh, this isn't a Christian card. It's an impact card. I got my Christian card. It's all I need. But that's how many of us act. Hey, here's my Christian card. It gets me out of whatever I wanted to get me out of. And I can just keep sinning. I can, I can live like however, however I ever want to live. No, we've got it all wrong. It goes back to the first point. So many of us just have a form but we should have a healthy fear of, of God in us that we may turn, that if we turn away from God, that God is going to come after us and try to bring us back to him and draw us back to him. Look, if we're concerned about our sin, that's an important step. And sometimes God allows things to happen to bring us back to him, and we have to realize that. That he's not just lording over us and punishing us because he hates us. No, he loves us just like any parent loves a child and they have to correct that child. All of you parents understand that. We've had to do it a lot in the past three or four weeks with Nate and Noah. There's been a lot of correction. But it's not because we hate them, it's because we love them, because we want what's best for them. Same thing is true with God. So what we see is big appearance with little fruit aggravates God. God has higher expectations from his own people, and God's patience has limits. Understand that, church. And really, going just a a little deeper, we can quickly boil this lesson down to three groups of people. There's the group of no leaves and no fruit. And what I'm talking about is those that aren't Christians at all can't be a Christian if there is no fruit, if there is no leaves, if there is no evidence that Jesus Christ is in your life. The great thing about Christianity, outside of any other religion, is that it's a relationship religion. That's what sets Christianity apart. It's centered around a relationship with a father that loves you and cares for you. A second group of people that we can tie this into is there's a group that have leaves, but no fruit. Look, a Christian should be more than a name tag. Hey, got my name tag. I'm a Christian. Look at me. There's a lot of people that have walked through the doors of this church building that have had the name tag on, but they have no evidence that they are a Christian. And sadly, I've been there. You've been there. Look, there must be fruit in our lives to show evidence There are so many people that like to show off that they're a Christian. You know who I'm talking about? I'm not asking for names here, but you've seen people like this. Maybe you've been that person. There are many people that like to show off that they're a Christian by what they're doing, by how they're living, by how they're acting. But the Christian life isn't about showing off. (laughs) It's not a competition that, that some have made it into Look, we don't live for anyone else. I've said that many times to our church. I don't live for anyone else. I don't live for other pastors. I live for Jesus Christ and what he wants me to do. And Christianity isn't a competition-based religion that we have to compete with other people and other individuals. That's not what it's about. That is the evidence of a person that has leaves but no fruit, You see, there were a lot of religious leaders, and this is the point that Jesus was making here too. There were a lot of religious leaders who had leaves on the outside, but no real fruit. They were man-centered instead of God-centered. But what is more important, church? That you're pleasing a man that is going to fail you or you're pleasing God that will never fail you. And then the third group We have leaves, but no fruit, leaves and fruit, and then leaves and fruit. I think I said it all wrong, but leaves, leaves, no leaves, no fruit, leaves, but no fruit, and then leaves and fruit, which means this is the Christian that God has called all of us to be. This is really the way it should be. Who stands out to you outside of Jesus Christ in the New Testament of an individual who didn't just play the part of a Christian, but lived it? Who showed evidence that he was a Christian? Who stands out to you? The one that stands out to me is probably the one that stands out to you. Over half the New Testament was written by this man, the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul had the fruit of Jesus Christ in his life and he knew it, not in a proud and arrogant way, but in a way that gave God the glory for what he had done in his life. There may be some of you in this group today and praise God for that. God asks that we be thankful. He challenges us to be grateful for what he has done, humbly asking him to continue to work in our life. And this is what God wants of us, to be a Christian that has leaves and fruit showing forth that it's not about us, but it's all about him. That everything that I do is not man-centered. It's not competition-based. It's for the glory, the praise, the adoration of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's something I've had to struggle with a lot in my life over the almost 36 years of existence that I've had that I'm not trying to do things to please other men. And if other men don't like what I'm doing, who cares? What matters the most is if Jesus is pleased with me. And I know if he's pleased with me, if I'm following his word, if I'm doing what he has called me to do. And when we move from that application to the, lesson of the Olivet Discourse. Again, so much jam-packed, and we're just trying to condense it all in 20 or 30 minutes tonight. When we move from the fig tree to the Mount of Olives, this is where Jesus prophesies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and talks about his second coming. I'm not going deep into this at all. I'm going to give you three quick aspects that we see from the study of this. We're not even gonna read it because it's gonna it's very lengthy, very in-depth. I encourage you to to look over that. Matthew chapter 24 primarily, but also in 25 and 26, concerning the end times and referencing some of the old testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and I think even Daniel. But really, the Olivet Discourse, and especially Matthew chapter 24, listen to me, it's a call for Jesus' disciples. I think in our notes tonight, the, the title of, of tonight's devotion is What Aggravates God and a Call for All Disciples. So what aggravates God is having the appearance but having no fruit. And then the call for disciples, for all disciples, those that are committed to Jesus Christ, is really three quick things that we see in the Olivet Discourse study. And here they are. I'm just going to list them off. Number one, we need to trust in the authority of Christ. Trust that he is who he says he is, and we know that based on what happened just three or four days later when he died on the cross but didn't stay in that tomb. He rose victoriously, triumphantly from the grave. Trust in the authority of Christ. Jesus' authority was being questioned left and right during this week by religious leaders. Others, they're like, hey, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He has come to save. But I'm calling you and I'm challenging you if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ to trust in his authority in your life, to trust that he is in control. No matter what is going around, on around you and the storms that are raging and and if you get COVID-19, if you don't get it, I'm not making light of that. But we have to trust that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is, that his authority is is still on display. That he will see us through it and that he will uh, unify us and make us stronger because we are his church if you're a Christian. He died for his church. He gave his life for us. The gates of hell can't even prevail against it. So trust in the authority of Christ. Second thing, persevere in the power of Christ, and the third thing, long for the coming of Christ. That's really what the Olivet Discourse boils down to, those three things. Trust in the authority of Christ, persevere in the power of Christ, keep going, don't stop, don't quit, and long for the coming of Christ. As Christians, listen to me, we will face trials and difficulties, right? We will face uncertainty. Christians are not saved from trials, They are saved through trials. Here's what Jesus is basically saying to his disciples as he's teaching them. Trust in me. Even when it seems like everything is out of control, I am still and will always be in control. That was 2,000 years ago. There was a lot of uncertainty back then. And especially... In three or four days, there was going to be a whole lot of uncertainty. Jesus is dead. What's what's next? What are we supposed to do? And he's, he's preparing them. Trust me. Even when things seem out of control, because I am and will always be in control. Look, look, the first time Jesus came, he came in humility to provide salvation. But the next time he comes, he's coming in glory to execute judgment. So as a Christian, I want to challenge you and encourage you to watch. Watch for his coming with anticipation. And until that day, as we've already talked about, be faithful to his call for your life. Be a faithful steward of what God has given you to do. And I close with this. We should spend our lives, even lose them if necessary, knowing Christ's power will ensure that his church will accomplish his mission he still has a mission for us church and he still wants us to accomplish it so trust in it we've seen what aggravates God and we've seen the call for the disciple